This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Good morning, church. As the kids are making their way out, if you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. That's where our text will be found this morning. Looking at Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 19. And Luke writes this, Luke 17, 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not the ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we have much to give praise of regarding you. Lord, we're mindful of the mercy you have bestowed upon each and every one of us. That's why we gather here. We gather to sing your praises. We gather to hear your word so that we can be more and more conformed to your beloved Son, our Savior. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the fellowship of the saints. We're thankful for the opportunity to use all that we have for your glory. Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honor. And yet, Lord, we know we fall short, and that's why we come humbly seeking yet more grace, more mercy, more help. God, meet us in our need. Meet us as we gather here. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, we pray that those of us who are spiritually blind have not seen the things of Christ, that you would pull back those blinders so that we could see the glory of Christ. For those of us, Lord, that are experiencing emotional hardship, we pray that you would soften our hearts in a time when the enemy would seek to harden them. God, may we come humbly admitting our need and seeking your help for you and you alone 
can be the true joy of our salvation. For those who are struggling physically, Lord, we come believing that you truly are the great physician, believing that you who are the creator of the world, the redeemer of our being, that you can restore all things. And so, Lord, we ask on behalf of those who are struggling physically that you would restore their health, strengthen them, and may you receive all praise and glory for that victory. Lord, we come in many facets and in many ways to this place. And as we gather, we gather to hear from you. So, Lord, we pray for Pastor Ian as he preaches. We pray, Lord, that you would fill his mouth with your word. We pray that he would not say more nor less than you've given him to say, but, God, he would be faithful to your word this morning. And, God, we pray that we, the recipients, would be faithful in hearing your word. May we be attentive May our hearts be soft. May our eyes be fixed upon Christ. And may we grow by the grace and the mercy that only you can provide. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. God's people said. Aaron. Well, every day we present ourselves before God, reporting for duty. We're promising to follow in the master's footsteps. We're using our spiritual gifts to serve each other and to serve a needy and lost world. After all, Romans 12, the opening verses says that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice and holy and acceptable to God. It's our reasonable service. It's our spiritual act of worship. That's supposed to be going on every day. But will we ever hear from the Lord, thank you? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I invite you to turn into your scriptures, if you haven't already, to this passage, Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 7. If you have your electronic device, that's great. We wonder this morning, as we look at this passage, what's it mean to worship the Savior? And what's the basis of it? You know, for many years, that's been very common to greet someone who is in the military or who is in the, a, a first responder. Greet them with... Uh, Thank you for your service. And some people, I'm told, find that a little bit annoying. It gets old, but for others, oh, you, you can say that to me anytime you want. Maybe there are better ways to express our appreciation and to acknowledge all of their sacrifices. But it is well-intentioned and it is well-deserved. So when your life is over and my life is over, when we have finished our race, when we have sacrificed much for the kingdom, maybe we have even faced persecution or martyrdom, will we hear, thank you for your service? Well, these disciples that have uh, aligned themselves with Jesus have been trained for their deployment 
In the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are usually called disciples, but all three of those gospels also say they were sometimes called apostles. Luke has a tendency to call the disciples disciples in his gospel, calls them apostles in the book of Acts. They are alternative titles for the same group of people. Disciples are learners, students. Apostles are ones who are sent out. They are ambassadors. They are emissaries. And it's interesting that in the passage we looked at last week, Luke uses the word apostles when he's describing the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And in the passage that was just read for us, there's that ongoing learning and preparation that Jesus is pouring into the disciples hyphen apostles. After all, they are going to be the ones who in the book of Acts are doing fabulous things. And it's as if Jesus is saying, listen and watch. Watch me. Learn from me because you are going to need all that you learn as you carry out your mission as sent out ones. You will be doing significant things. Remember from last week, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mulberry tree, go plant yourself into the sea and it'll happen when you read the book of Acts. Matter of fact, they did fabulous things. So in this passage that we have in front of us, there are two accounts. One of them is a simple parable that Jesus tells his apostles. And by the way, he gives the answer away, so we don't have to scratch our heads about what it means. It's pretty self-evident. And it's followed immediately by a miracle that probably took place at some other occasion and some other time. But Luke puts them together because there, in fact, is a common thread between the two. There's a common theme that binds these two accounts together. So this morning, we're going to take them one at a time. First of all, the parable addressed to these disciples and apostles it has a very clear and simple meaning. Jesus says, so which one of you who has a servant who is plowing or keeping sheep would say to him when he comes in from the field, come in at once and recline at table. Oh, thank you for your work. You look so tired. You must be exhausted. Look at you. You're a mess. Come and sit down with me at my table. Recline with me. Let's share a meal together. Well, obviously, in the first century context, that would never happen. Verse 8 says, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress appropriately, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you'll have something to, to eat or drink. Well, that's later on. First, take care of me. That's your job. It's quite remarkable that Years ago, when my mother-in-law, and in fact, my grandmother-in-law, had a housekeeper who would come in every week, they had an interesting custom. About lunchtime, they would sit down 
at the kitchen table and have lunch together. My mother-in-law and the housekeeper. My grandmother-in-law and the housekeeper. What's even more remarkable is that it was my mother-in-law and my grandmother-in-law who prepared the lunch for the housekeeper. That would never be contemplated in the first century in this context, where a master had a servant. The whole deal was, you do what you're told to do, and don't expect any more thanks. You're simply doing what's expected of you. Verse 9 says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? The answer is, of course, no. That kind of runs counter to our culture and what most of us have been led to, to think. In our culture, a good boss is one who will give praise, show appreciation, affirm a job well done, even an occasional thank you for what you did today. Thank you for being an effective and valuable employee. If you don't get that from your supervisor or your boss, you begin to think, am I doing an acceptable job? Is he happy with my work? Does she even appreciate what I'm doing? In our culture, this is so odd because we have been trained more and more to show thanks, thanks, appreciation, attaboys for all who serve us in the first century culture. Unheard of. A master has a doulos, as the Greek says, somewhere between a slave and a servant. King James Bible uses the word a bond servant, which doesn't make any sense to you and me, but it's actually a pretty good word. It shows that there's a middle ground. This is a servant who's just supposed to do what he's supposed to do with no questions asked, expecting nothing in return. What's supposed to happen is that the servant simply says, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. They're unworthy. And folks, you and I are unworthy servants of the master. It doesn't say we're worthless. It says we're unworthy. We shouldn't expect anything more than the privilege of doing what we've been told and commanded to do. We are faithful, but unworthy. After all, you and I didn't earn our position. We weren't born with a right relationship with God. We weren't hired for wages. We were bought with a price, which we will be reminded of later on in our service when we gather around the Lord's table and we remember the great cost and price of our redemption. Maybe the word master doesn't sound too politically correct in our, to our 21st century ears. But the sooner you and I come to terms with who the master is and what he expects of us and what our relationship with him is, 
the happier we will be. Don't expect God to be thankful that you and I are working on his team. Just serve him because you are his servant. And that's what Jesus is telling his apostles, the ones who are going to be giving their very lives in service to the king, the ones who will be rolling up their sleeves and pouring their energy and effort into being the people that God has called them to be and to step up to the plate. That will be their assignment. One little side comment, however, that's worth throwing in here at this point. Several chapters earlier, Jesus gave an illustration to his disciples, hyphen apostles, about the servant-master relationship because he was telling them that someday you're going to see the master again. And you and I believe that indeed Jesus is going to show up on this planet. We will see the Savior face to face. And remarkably, Jesus says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake and serving when he comes. You want to be about his business. Truly, I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. What a remarkable turn of events. Our master is going to come back and invite us to dine with him at the table. He will prepare the meal. He will put on the servant's garments and serve us at the end of the age. And so even Jesus puts a different spin on this story and the relationship between a master and a servant. Isn't that a remarkable statement? That he will do that for us someday. Meanwhile, you're the servant, I'm the servant. Christ is the master. We serve him with a smile on our face. Now the miracle happens perhaps on a different occasion. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. He entered a village and he was met by ten lepers, we're, we're, we're told. They stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, interesting word, Master, have mercy on us. This isn't the first time Jesus had healed a leper. He did that several chapters earlier. In this account, there are ten of them. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. How matter-of-factly Luke tells that story. In the earlier account, Jesus has a real conversation with the leper. The leper has to say, I, I know that you can heal me. You can heal me if you're willing. They have some give and take. Jesus says, I am willing. And he reached out and touched the leper. 
And he said, be healed. And the leper was healed. In this passage, none of that happens. All we're told is that they presented themselves to the master and he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. He didn't even tell them you're going to be healed. He just said, turn around, go show yourself to the priests. Maybe some of those lepers thought to themselves, why do I want to do that? I'm a mess. Look at me. But in obedience, they turned around and they marched toward the priest, who would verify, in fact, that they were cleansed. That's the point. On the way, they discovered they're healed. They're being cleansed. I can almost imagine the conversation. Look at me. I'm healed. Look at you. You're healed. We're all healed. Now, this is where the text is silent. I read one commentator a few days ago who said, can you imagine the conversation that went on between those ten? Maybe we should go back and thank the master. Well, no, he told us to go and, and see the priest. You know, let's not waste any time. Oh, I think I want to go back. No, you go back if you want. I don't think there's anything in the text that gives us any indication of what conversation went on. That's all kind of conjecture. What we do know from the text is that one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And by the way, the text says he was a Samaritan. You know what that means. He was part of the northern tribes of Israel who had been repopulated uh, after, the, after the captivity. And the area was repopulated with a mixture of Jews and pagans. Threw in a couple of priests to get them going. But the, the, the Jews in the south never had anything to do with these Samaritans. Half-breeds as they're sometimes called. Didn't even worship in the right way. Didn't even worship at the right place. They're worshiping God up at Mount Gerizim instead of Jerusalem. What's that about? And yet it was a Samaritan that turned around and praised God and gave thanks to Jesus. Notice our Lord's response. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? You can tell he's upset. You can tell he's disappointed, a little surprised. Now, he knew what was going to happen. But from his remarks, you get the distinct impression, the reasonable and normal and expected response of someone who has been healed is to give praise to God and thanks to Jesus. And only one of them did it. The only one who came back, in fact, was a foreigner. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, all of them were healed. All of them had faith. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't have shown up in the first place and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They knew he could do something. But only one of them responded with gratitude, with thankfulness. Now, if the apostles are thinking, as they're putting these two accounts side by side, as Luke does for us, if they're connecting the dots, hopefully they're getting the message that the reasonable, rational response of someone who has been shown mercy from God is to express thankfulness, gratitude. Our guilt, as we are often reminded, our guilt is matched by God's grace, and the response to that grace is our gratitude. Years ago, our church was engaged in an evangelism ministry that was begun by D. James Kennedy, who, of course, was the pastor, founding pastor at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, which, by the way, is the church that's connected with Knox Seminary, with whom we have a relationship. D. James Kennedy famously talked about this concept and said, you know, we're not saved by any works, any deeds, anything we do. We don't deserve it. We have not earned it. It is all his mercy and grace. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, when you're on the receiving end of his kindness and his forgiveness, the natural and normal response is thankfulness. And so that the rest of your life is simply a thank you for what you have received. That's what you and I are called to do. We are God's humble servants. We serve the master. We are unworthy. We have done nothing to merit that relationship. But in response, we serve with grateful hearts. Oh, we, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Ah, the scripture says that, and I expect to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant, but thank you? I don't think so. Oh, there will be crowns that are doled out, and what we will do with those crowns will leave for another sermon, but we will receive them. But don't expect a thank you, because after all, we are just unworthy servants doing our duty Instead, you and I should say thank you with our lives and our service. And until the day comes when we see the master face to face, it is our duty to serve him, love him, say thank you by being obedient to his commands, and one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we are once again struck and amazed by your goodness and kindness to us that you would include us in your family in the first place. That is accomplished by your grace, your mercy. The Lord's table before us is a vivid reminder of that, that our redemption came at a terrible cost and price. But now that we are your children, we are your servants, we say thank you with every ounce of energy, 
and commitment that you bestow upon us have you given us the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts and the assignments that are ours Father let us not waste a day a moment in frivolous things that do not matter one day we expect to see the master and he will look at our lives to see that we have been productive Father, help our lives to be a, a wonderful thank you in response to your goodness and your grace and your kindness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.